From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. We've been kind of waiting for this announcement to come along. Uh, We knew it was coming. It came on Wednesday. Uh, Governor Brad Little put together his task force to look at education issues. Let's talk a little bit more, not just about the announcement, but maybe spin this forward and look at what uh, to expect in the months ahead. But let's start with the news on Wednesday. You were at the State House for the announcement. Uh, get us up to speed, Clark. Yeah, this really kind of sets up the next five, six months of, of education policy development, at least at the state level. But went out to the state capitol building on Wednesday morning. Um, Governor Little uh, was there with several members of the new task force. There's going to be 26 members appointed to this task force, and they're really going to focus on developing a five-year plan uh, for K-12 education. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's systemness is sort of this word that we talk about and kind of a buzzword. Uh, But what that means is there's going to be some overlap, uh, especially between your K-12 public school system and some of our goals for higher education. This is not a higher ed task force. This is more of a K-12 task force. But obviously... um, it's a very interconnected education system yeah. at this point, and a lot of the goals at K-12 are either designed to set up or facilitate going on uh, or overlap with, with our higher education system. So we met, uh, we met the 26 new members. We posted the list at IdahoEdNews.org on Wednesday. The two co-chairs were there with Governor Little as well as a handful of members. But it's... Uh, the list itself isn't super surprising, right? No. It's kind of who we would expect. Uh, just mile-high view, educators, education advocacy, advocacy groups are on the list, school administrators, parents, business leaders, and legislators. That's kind of the core membership. A lot of real, the names real, were familiar. Really the usual suspects in terms of the constituencies that are yes. being represented. I mean, you've got, you've got school boards represented, you've got school administrators, you've got business community. A couple teachers. Yeah. You know, Perhaps not the the people that we see day in and day out at the state house. Perhaps not you know Rob Winslow from the administrators group or Karen Echevarria from the school boards association or Rod Grammer from Idaho Business for Education, but definitely representatives of those constituencies. Maybe uh, folks who are a little bit more on the ground and maybe uh, more from around the state as opposed to the uh, the Boise Beltway. Yeah. So just real quick, who's going to head this head this up and what are the timelines we're looking at? The two co-chairs are Debbie Critchfield, uh, the new president of the State Board of Education. It's going to be one of the co-chairs. And then Bill Gilbert, uh, a Boise businessman who's the co-founder, managing director of a firm called Caprock. And he is a board member for Idaho Business for Education. Those will be the two co-chairs. They will be reporting uh, to Governor Little. And it's going to move somewhat quickly. Uh, Governor Little said that he wants recommendations on his desk by November. Uh, And so why November? So that he can get his budget request in order and he can develop some recommendations and begin looking at an implementation strategy for the 2020 legislative session, which will kick off just after the the new year there in in early January 2020. And so we're looking at first meeting is going to be June 3rd. And uh, we're looking at a pretty, we were talking just before we hit record, kind of a compressed five, six month time frame to probably tackle a lot of serious issues. Right. I mean, the first thing that jumps out at me about the timetable is how different it is than what we saw in 2013 with the, with Governor Otter's uh, K-12 task force. If you remember the timeline, and we do because we were covering yeah. it intimately, you know, it coincided with our launch in 2013. 
uh, that task force was put together in uh, really began meeting in early January of 2013. So right on the heels of the 2012 elections, yeah. that group started to meet through through the legislative session and through the spring and presented recommendations to the governor uh, late August mm -hmm. of 2013, which then gave the governor and the governor's staff you know, the rest of the year to formulate what to do with these recommendations and what to act on right away in 2014, what to act on maybe later. So it was a little bit more of a, a gradual rollout coming out of that task force. But this group starts meeting in, in June, not yep. January, in June. June 3rd. And if they're presenting to you know Governor Little by November, Governor staff only has a few weeks then to decide, well, what's actionable for 2020? What can we work into a budget recommendation? What can we work into legislation in terms of, uh, you know, if there's policy legislation needed to implement any of this, if there are budget line items needed to fund it, it'll ha it'll move fairly quickly. It's going to have to. Yeah, I think it will move uh, fairly quickly. Met with the governor, like I said, on Wednesday morning. And that original task force, governor, former Governor Otter's 2013 task force, is very much the blueprint, even though the time frame is a little bit different, the rollout is a little bit different. The overall blueprint and formula and game plan, however you want to call it, is kind of the same. Uh, Governor Little said he viewed that as kind of a successful product. Uh, it got all the different players together. Uh, they brought feedback in from around the state. There were regional meetings. And it really set up the next five legislative sessions. Mm -hmm. uh, when we yeah. talk about the career ladder, when we talk about some of the major issues with the legislature over the past five years were really born out of that task force. Yeah. So it really set the agenda. And uh, and we did see piece by piece, year by year, over the five years the legislature took action on that. It's been just over five years since then. And so now with the new governor and uh, some new leadership in place, I think they're looking for the next five-year plan. And that's very much what the governor expressed. Right. And it kind of leaves me wondering, so what is next? So what uh, what might be the focus or areas of focus for this new task force? And, and I think a couple of things that really kind of jump to mind that are fairly self-evident, but it kind of ties to what we saw from the 2013 task force. I'd expect to see a lot of discussion now about what do you do about teacher pay, especially on the higher end of the salary scale. I mean, the career ladder that you mentioned so much focus towards beginning teachers, entry-level teachers, teachers at the low end of the salary scale, even going into this legislative session with the increase in the minimum salary, but still this understanding that there probably is more that the state is going to have to try to do in terms of veteran teacher salaries, a uh, feeling that maybe the master teacher premium that goes in this year isn't going to address everything that uh, some folks in the state want to see in terms of a salary structure that keeps veteran teachers in the classroom and in the classroom in Idaho. So I'd expect more discussion there. I think you're right on. We had a popular opinion piece. We call it Voices Pieces that ran on IdahoEdNews.org in the last week. The governor's staff read that piece. Um, they talked to me about it. Uh, but that was all about now that we've done the beginning teacher recruitment piece with the career ladder, they want to focus on the veteran salaries. Uh, because we've talked about before how the salaries that the state provides to districts, the funding the state provides, is kind of going to be compressed between $40,000 and $50,000 um, once we ramp up to the $40,000 minimum salary. 
And so there is a desire. Uh, we had that opinion piece. If you missed it, you can go back to Idaho Ed News. Click on our Voices tab and look at that. But the governor's staff is aware of that. Um, Representative mm-hmm. John McCrosty, a member of the House Education Committee, was talking about that very issue on social media this week. So and one I, of the co-authors of that Voices piece, by the way, is Carrie Overall, the yep. president of the IAA. Member who of the new task, member of the new task force. Yep. So, yes, this is definitely going to be an issue that's uh, in play with this new task force. I'll also be curious to see if this task force addresses school safety issues and to what degree do they address uh, school safety. That really didn't come up in the 2013 task force, at least not in a in an overt way uh, in terms of a concrete recommendation. We've seen State Superintendent Ibarra try to uh, to advance the issue with, with her proposal, her KISS proposal. Uh, that didn't go anywhere, but she is still interested in trying to push this this issue. I'll be really curious Barra's to see. a member of the task and, force. And she's on the task force. Yeah. So I'll really be curious to see what this uh, task force does in terms of school safety, uh, in terms of uh, training for staff, in terms of hiring, and in terms of you know, helping schools try to hire SROs, helping schools try to figure out ways to upgrade physical safety at schools, which you know leads maybe to a broader discussion of facilities issues. I'll be really curious to see if school safety comes up. And I'll be curious, too to see if this group takes a closer look at how some of the uh, the line items that came out of the 2013 task force, how they're really working out. Things like advanced opportunities, it's grown so much. Things like hiring college and career counselors. These kind of programs that we've written about so many times that are geared towards trying to improve the go-on rates and the college completion rates. I wonder if this task force kind of looks under the hood and says, well, we've put this much money into these programs what are we getting for the money at this point? And do we need to do something a little bit different? Do we need to stay the course and, and give it time to to nurture and to mature? Uh, that, that's going to be an interesting topic to see if if it plays out. I, I think you're I think you're right on here. In some of the reporting that I've done this week um, in and around the task force formation, I think there are going to be sort of four key areas that they will focus on. They may even break the task force up into smaller subgroups and take a look at, I, I, I'm going to look for four areas that they're going to address. And I've talked with some folks about this this week. I think that school safety and school facilities are definitely one of those four areas. And they're so intertwined in a lot of communities. We may see a subcommittee of the task force look just at that issue. Budget stability and line items is another area where we may see a subcommittee break off of that task force. The governor has said he is not instructing this task force to re-engineer or develop a competing school funding propo- funding formula proposal. That's already been done. That's in the hands of the legislature. Uh, we had House Bill 293, which was signed into law. And so I think that work will pick up again. So he's not asking this task force, this is important, he's not asking this task force to re-engineer or redevelop or tweak the funding formula proposal. But broadly speaking, School finance, budget stability, and line items will be one of the key areas that this task force looks at. And as far as we go back to that school funding formula, I mean, uh, Senator Chuck Wender, Representative Wendy Horman, the two co-chairs of that legislative interim committee that studied the funding formula, they're also on this task force. Both on this task force. That's two of the areas I expect them to look at. Uh, Third area would be the teacher pipeline and teacher pay. A fourth area would be rural remote schools. So I think those are four areas that they will really 
focus in on, but the overarching goal is a five-year plan. And what the governor and, and his staff told me is they want to find out where do we want to be in five years? What are the outcomes we want? What are the goals that we want to set for our students? Let's get on the same page there. And then from there, let's develop an implementation strategy. How do we do this with the budget? How do we do this with legislation? What's the timing of the rollout? So those are sort of some of the things that I expect this group to look at and, and mm -hmm. some of the form and shape that the discussions may take. And what is that metric? What What is the measure by which you uh, determine success for this task mm -hmm. force? If you go back to 2013, and so much has happened in education since 2013 because of the task force, you do also have to go back and remember that the driving force for that 2013 task force was to try to make progress towards the 60% post-completion rate. And for all that's going on in these past few years, the state has not made a whole lot of progress towards that 60% right. goal to the point where, as we've written about so many times, we're, we're so far away from that 60% threshold that it may be years and years before the state could, could have a realistic shot at getting to that uh, that milestone. It's, it's a very daunting task, even years into uh, the pursuit of it. And I think it's important to remember, since the 2013 task force wrapped up its business, they have moved the goal back for hitting the 60% goal because it wasn't 2020, I feel like, was the original goal, and they knew they wouldn't hit it. Now we're at 2025, and my, and my reporting won't hit has it. told me that it would be a Herculean task for us to hit 60% by 2025. It's, it's, that's such a... It sounds like a lot of time. Six years sounds like a lot of time. It really isn't. Well, because we're talking about young adults, uh, and so a lot of those... By 2025, a lot of those people are exiting the, the K-12 system right now. And so, and it is a population goal. It's not a go-on goal. And so it's important to understand what the goal is. But it's a population goal for, I want to say, 60% of our, like, 25 to 34-year-olds, I think, is the, uh, is, is the yardstick they're looking at. And so it, it's going to be tough. I don't think that it will happen by 2025. Uh, there's some factors that the state can't control, some factors it can control. I don't think it'll happen by 2025, but that doesn't mean it's an unrealistic goal because it really originated, was it that Georgetown study? But it yeah. had to do mm -hmm. with workforce readiness and workforce needs. Right. So I don't think they'll abandon the goal even if they don't hit it. Um, but I would be surprised if this particular task force ties too much of uh, success and measuring success to that 60% goal because I, I, I just don't see how you get there by 2025 because we're talking about young adults who are already out of the K-12 yeah, system. Yeah. So anything you do, no matter how how smart an idea it is or how productive or how promising an idea it is for K-12, it's not going to affect the group of young adults that we're talking about getting into the workforce in, in 2025 as 25- well, to 34-year-olds. The math just doesn't work. We've talked about even the capacity at our existing colleges and universities. And in... And, and, Career technical certificates and, and, and post-secondary certificates absolutely count. But when you look at the higher ed piece of it, we've talked about the capacity in our existing yeah. colleges mm -hmm. and universities would need to expand significantly. Um, we've known our go-on rates. We've tracked the completion rate to date. We've tracked population, uh, education attainments. It just it doesn't look like it's going to happen um, for sure. Right. So... 
that's the news coming out of the governor's office this week, and it sets the stage for more news in the next few months. We'll be tracking this uh, task force closely, so it, it keep does. checking in as the meetings uh, start and as they continue, because we'll be there. We will let you know what the schedule is. We will cover them in detail. Uh, we will interview the key members of the task force. If you want to find out who's on the task force and get the actual list, head over to IdahoEdNews.org. Look for my story on Wednesday. One other thing I want to point out, Governor Little was asked, you know, what you know, what are we talking about here? Are, are you asking them uh, to be ambitious? Are you asking them to be conservative? And he said he wants them to be ambitious, and he realizes that investments in education do cost money. And and so I don't think he's playing his hand yet and, and, and talking about what the budget proposals will be over the next few years. Uh, but the governor is well aware that uh, the types of investments that he may be envisioning are probably going to have budget implications and will cost money, and he didn't shy away from acknowledging that fact. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where this group goes, what they come up with, what the tenor of the discussions is like. And then, like you said, when we get down to where the rubber meets the road in November, what do we look at for implementation and what could be a tight turnaround before the 2020 legislative session, which is already looking extremely busy from right. where I sit. And, and it is. And then that's the ultimate question. How is all of this received by the legislature. Yeah. How, how are legislators, uh, how do they respond to this task force? Because Some uh, of them have been skeptical yes, about... Yeah, reported this. I, I've interviewed particularly members of the House Education Committee who have been there for a while. I specifically spoke with Representative Judy Boyle, a Republican from, uh, I want to say Midvale, In Midvale mm-hmm. at the end of this most recent legislative session. And she f- said that she's talked to Governor Little about how she felt the previous task force handcuffed legislators a little bit, that if it wasn't one of the 20 recommendations, legislators weren't allowed to touch it or to move forward with it. And so she felt handcuffed a little bit. And like I said, I did that article at the end of the legislative session where several members of the House Education Committee wanted to assert their authority as the policymaking body and wanted to reign in more control over education policy, even to the point some of them said, you know, the State Department of Education and the State Board of Education need to be on notice that the House Education Committee is the player here. So it'll be really interesting to see how that goes next year because we've already talked about it. It's not new. But the House Education Committee in particular, a lot of scrutiny was applied to proposals and budgets and legislative initiatives and rules this year. Not a lot got through the House Education Committee Um and I don't see that changing anytime soon. The chair uh, of the House Education and Senate Education Committees are on these task forces. So are a handful of members, but not all of them. So I think right. that'll be one thing um, to watch. We can get caught up at the homepage. I do want to shift gears, Kevin, uh, because there is kind of an under-the-radar election that's going to be taking place next week. You had a piece kind of alerting our readers to that and letting people know, but... Uh, What's going to be decided at the polls next week, and how can folks find out more information about it? Well, Tuesday is day two of the four school election days around the state. This is one of the the four dates that uh, school districts can go to patrons uh, seeking bond issues or or levies. We've got 17 elections going on around the state, Uh, a little bit more than $50 million in ballot measures are uh, are on the are up for grabs or are on the ballot on Tuesday. Not a lot of 
big school districts uh, going to voters this time around. So you don't have your Boise or your West Ada or, or Nampa or any of the big districts in North Idaho or Eastern Idaho. Um, so that, I think, contributes to it being a little bit of an under-the-radar election just because, because of that and because it's the third Tuesday in May. It's the week right. heading into Memorial Day weekend. I don't think a lot of voters are thinking that there are elections. So if you're curious about what's going on in your area of the state, go to idahoednews.org. We have a roundup of it. Some of the bigger issues on the ballot around the state, I noticed, are, are repeats. They are uh, proposals that voters saw in March and voted down in March. Mm -hmm. uh, the Minidoka County School District is going back to voters. This is actually the biggest uh, ballot measure we've got on Tuesday night. It's a $21 million bond issue uh, to do some expansions in that uh, school system in the Magic Valley. Got 62% support in March. You know, a majority, but not the two-thirds supermajority that's needed to pass a bond issue. So identical bond issue going back uh, before the voters in Minidoka County on Tuesday. Couple of uh, supplemental levies in North Idaho are back before voters. St. Mary's and West Bonner County going back with supplemental levies that were rejected in March. These were uh, levies that didn't even get to that 50% plateau because a supplemental levy needs only a simple majority to pass. Right. So another round on those uh, supplemental levies up north. And we've got various uh, bond issues and levies around the state. And again, full roundup at idahoheadnews.org and check in with us on Wednesday because we will have the full results. You'll track the, the results. Uh, you'll let people know how they fared in each of the districts. And you'll kind of, you know, if a trend does emerge, uh, you'll kind of put the pieces together for us. And you have the ability now uh, with some research you've done to kind of look back over the last couple of election cycles and see what's happened and what hasn't happened. And so you'll be able to kind of connect some of the dots in ways that I think will be really interesting and useful uh, for our readers and for patrons and taxpayers. There's, there's always a spreadsheet that can answer almost any question yeah. if you if you put your mind to it. So we will see what happens on Tuesday. We'll track it and we'll see uh, you know if there are any overriding patterns that uh, that emerge uh, with this round of elections. For sure. And Wednesday morning, head to idahoednews.org uh, for the rundown of the results. And even though it's Memorial Day week next week, uh, kind of a busy week looking ahead to what we'll have. We'll have the election results as, uh, as uh, talked about. I'm going to publish a story on Monday that I'm kind of looking forward to, to getting out. Uh, Marion Pritchett High School in Boise has been in the North End for more than 50 years. It is a high school that's geared towards uh, students who are either expecting a baby or have, or have had a baby. So it's, it's young mothers, generally mothers-to-be. Yep. They've just opened it up the past few years to, to fathers. But the school is moving to a larger location, more centrally located in West Boise, getting out of the North End. So uh, this is kind of an end of an era in terms of the geography. Also an end of an era in terms of academics because the enrollment is dropping. Uh, the Boise School District is looking at a really different learning model for this school. It's something they've done in other schools, more of a, a hybrid online learning model that's going to go into effect in the fall. So we look at the kind of the end of the era, the, the, the physical change of moving uh, from one campus to another, and also the, the change in the, the learning model and how that may work out going forward. I had a chance to talk to some of the graduates, uh, really, really, you know, 
interesting, inspiring life stories. I mean, you know, students who have gotten through high school facing the, you know, not just the rigors of high school and academics, but also the life-changing experience of, of parenthood. So we, uh, we introduce you to some of those students. Uh, we talk to uh, you know, the head teacher at Marion Pritchett about sort of the history and the future. Got to sit in on the graduation ceremony last night, which was a, which was a lot of fun. Graduations are always kind of fun to sit in on. This one had a definite uh, small family feel because it's such a small high school. Yeah, um, it was really kind of a neat event. Our Sammy Edge was there taking uh, photos, so we'll have a whole gallery of photos. Uh, looking forward to dropping that story on Monday. I've got uh, a couple of different stories that I sort of started on this week. Uh, I've worked with Randy Schrader, our data analyst and records specialist. We're going to take a look. Over the last two years, we talked a lot about the development of Idaho's plan to comply with the federal Every Student Succeeds Act. We talked a lot about what it went into that plan, how that plan was developed, the accountability plan that came out of that. We're going to take a step back and look at how Idaho is progressing towards some of the goals that it identified. Um, reducing the gaps and increasing proficiency were some of the goals in the state ESSA plan. So we're going to take a step back. And the goals were really longer term, like five and six year goals, but they were in interim progress sort of benchmarks along the way. And now that we're one year out, we're going to take a look next week at how Idaho is doing uh, in progressing towards some of those goals. So that's one that you won't want to miss. I'm also taking a look at the overall testing and assessment window. It's kind of the end of the school year. There's a lot of a, a big, heavy testing period for a lot of students. So I've got some information uh, there that might be interested if you want to know little bit more about what's been going on at schools or what your son or daughter has been up to uh, or why they may have been a little bit stressed out the last several weeks. Uh, so we'll have a, a couple of updates there. It's that end of the school year, so we get caught up on a lot of uh, end of year items. Speaking of, as we head into the end of the school year and the beginning of the summer, uh, just a quick programming note here for devoted listeners of Extra Credit. Fear not, we will still have Extra Credit going on through the summer, including June. Never mind the fact that both Clark and I are going on uh, overseas adventures, separate overseas adventures. And what it basically means is that after next week, there's going to be about a five-week window where, you know, it's like how the president and vice president never go in the same car. (laughs) One of us will be driving the car here at Extra Credit, but but both of us will, will not be here. So what we'll be looking to in the next few weeks is we'll have some guests, um, joining us for extra credit uh, to talk about some education topics. Uh, We've got some folks lined up and some uh, folks in the pipeline. So we will still have your weekly update of what's happening in education policy and education politics, but with some new voices, which which will be fun. It'll be a chance for us to to have some different conversations and maybe take some deeper dives into some topics, uh, you know. So it'll be fun and it'll still be here. Yeah, I, I think it will be fun, and I, I think that people will enjoy uh, the new format for the next next week. Will be a normal one. You and I will both be here, but then after Memorial Day, once we get into June, I think people will like those uh, because we've been planning them out, and I think we have some fun ideas. We'll be able to go in depth and focus on a couple of things. We'll bring in some interesting guests that I think our listeners will enjoy. Uh, so you'll be in good hands, and then. Uh, in July, you and I will be back together. Yes. And uh, I don't want to talk about it too much now, but maybe once we get back, we can talk a little bit about what we did in June and how it went. Uh, we're both pretty excited, and uh, summer is a good time for us to sort of step away um, with school being out. We'll continue to follow the task force. We'll continue to follow 
uh, the rules reauthorization processes, those will really keep us busy this summer. But uh, and we'll sort of, some more long-term projects. Yeah. I mean, summer is also a chance for both of us to, you know, maybe dive in, into some data, yep. dive into some reports, look at some trends uh, for some bigger projects that will come later. So we'll be busy. We'll still be here. It's just going to sound a little bit different. So bear with us and uh, come along for the ride. All right. I think that gets to everything that I wanted to uh, cover this week. Thanks so much for joining us again. We always have a lot of fun breaking down this complicated intersection of education policy, education politics. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.